0: welcome to the podcast let the prophet speak today we begin our study of the text of the book of eo the book of job and uh we so far just had a little bit of an introduction in the introduction i concentrated mostly on the idea on the problem of of theodicy which is why good things happen to bad people and why bad things happen to good people. This issue, and I discussed then different approaches that have been used over the ages by various religious and philosophical uh, uh, groups, and the inadequacies of those explanations. This book is going to delve into pretty much all of those, and we will uh, find out by the end of the book, from God himself, the answer to the question. Um, That should tantalize you into thinking, ooh, we're going to get to know the answer. Uh, I hope I don't ruin the excitement for you by telling you that at the end of the book we will still be left without any good answers. But actually that itself will be the best answer of all, which is something we will be studying together. This book, we tend to, all of us, we see ourselves in it when we read through it. We see ourselves, we see the suffering that we may have gone through in our own lives, although in most of the listeners here, it would pale in comparison to the terrible suffering of the main protagonist of this story, which is Eov, Job himself, although some listeners may have gone through a terrible, horrific suffering, but certainly when we look at history, we don't have to go very far back to see and know of people, innocent people, people that we know of as being good, or even if they weren't perfect, but certainly not deserving of the terrible, terrible suffering that they have went through. We also know of people that are dishonest, um, abusive, that seem to be successful. And so these are these, these issues being dealt with Here are issues that we all deal with all the time. I want to mention the, of all of the different approaches to theodicy, you know, one approach is the one that is not considered at all in this book. And you and I are going to study this together and we will see. And that is the one approach that Eov is being tested to avoid. And that is the approach and the idea. That it's all random. There is no point. There is no God. The world is the way it is, and that's just it. Um, there's no purpose to existence. There's no purpose to the world. There's no reason for us to be here. There's no. There's no such thing as faith in anything because nothing exists. Mm-hmm. This concept is the one concept that, as we shall see, um, is one that. People can be driven towards, but Eov, because of his righteousness, never even entertains, despite numerous reasons to entertain that idea and that notion. I want to point out um, uh, Maimonides, the Rambam, in Mor in his seminal work on philosophy, Guide for the Perplexed, in chapter 20 of part 2 of Guide for the Perplexed, The Ramam there is discussing his argument, his fundamental argument and disagreement with Aristotle. Whereas Aristotle believes that the laws of nature are forever, and because the laws of nature are forever, and the laws of nature dictate that a universe such as the one that we see in front of us exists, therefore this universe must have always existed in the state that we see it in, Right, because the laws of nature were always the same. So just like the laws of nature lead to the world we see, it should always have been that way, and therefore there was never a time of creation. Um, whereas Rambam then says, I disagree with Aristotle's opinion, not because I can prove it, but because I can disprove his proof. Right? In other words, Aristotle seems to say, well, the laws of nature don't change, and therefore the world should always have been. Ramam says no, because the laws of nature do not change, but they were created at the time of creation. And therefore there is a creator. And Rama goes back and forth, and right now is not the place to discuss this philosophical debate. But it is the place for me to point out the one main point that the Rama makes in chapter 20, and it's worthwhile looking there yourself if you want to see it. Why does it matter, the Ramam says? He says, Aristotle has his points. I have my points. He can't prove me wrong, and I can't prove him wrong. But why is it so fundamental for me to state that that the, there was a moment of creation and that there is a creator that created the world? Why is that important? Because, the Ramam says, if God decided, so to speak, you know, obviously— doesn't decide the way we decide to create a world at a specific moment in time, which is again also a misnomer because Ramon points out that time itself was created at that time. So this is kind of a circular uh, sentence. <coughs> um, that means he did it for a purpose, for a reason, right? And according to <coughs> the, and and and, Maimonides points out that while the reason is not self-evident from, from within the world, that reason, as we are, are being taught by the Torah and by the prophets, that reason is for us to be better people, for us to follow the rules that God laid down for us, the guidance that he gave us, which enables us to search for and eventually achieve and reach truth, an intellectual truth, which according to Rambam requires first an ethical and moral truth and eventually an intellectual truth. So, so in other words, if we don't believe in a creator, right, that created the world, then there's no purpose. There's no point. Then everything is the way it is simply because the laws of nature dictate that it should be such. And then there's no point in keeping the Torah. There's no point in keeping any moral or ethical system which could lead people closer to the perfection that God wants from us. There's no point in talking about what God wants. It's this fundamental a thing that that underlies this entire book, even though we don't, the book doesn't even discuss this issue. And you'll see that Eov is going to be said, and I'm going to point this out as we go through the book. But the one thing Eov, Eov considers and is challenged by his friends with all kinds of ideas about why good people suffer, but the one thing that he refuses to even consider and doesn't even mention, in other words, this is significant in its absence is he refuses to even consider that maybe there is no creator, maybe there is no purpose in point, maybe everything is just the way it is because that's the way it has to be, and the laws of science and nature dictate that this is the way it should be. Now, um, with that introduction, let's begin the book. I mentioned a little bit in the intro that the first two chapters and the end of the last chapter are the story of Eo. Uh, written in a, in a narrative style, and the entire bulk of the book, the 40 chapters in between, is written in a poetic style, a very difficult style to read, but a beautiful poetic style It's written in the style of biblical poetry. And that consists of the debate. And many have pointed out that it's structured in such a way that it seems like it was structured to be a, a, a play, something to be performed. So it says a little story EO of this and EO of that, which we'll learn in a minute. And then, um, and then the play was performed in such a way that each of the characters would come on stage, give their speech as to what they think, and then uh, you know, step off the stage, you know, or, or, or then the next person on the stage would say his story and so on. And I'll point out a few places where it sounds this way. Ish There was a man in the land of Oz. Yes, there was a man in the land of Oz. Uts. Now, Uts pops up in various places in Tanakh. It's generally assumed to be a place near the land of Edom, or in the land of Edom, which is southeast of the land of Israel, somewhere in maybe modern-day Jordan, Saudi Arabia. Um... And based on what happens in the story as we read it, it makes sense that this is its location. And Eov Shemo, his name was Eov. Let me point out that um, the rabbis in Masechet Bava Basra have a debate as to whether or not, um, you know, exactly when this book was written, uh, whether or not it actually happened even. Many say that this entire book is just a mashal, just a, a parable. Rambam points out and emphasizes strongly in the more Nebuchim in the Guide for the Perplexed, that it is meant to be just a parable. Now, what the Ramah means is not that there never was a guy named Eov. We happen to know from ex- extra-biblical sources, from archaeological sources, that the name Eov in this region was a reasonably common name for a, a guy. There probably was a guy named Eov, especially since we know in the book of Ezekiel Eov is mentioned together with two other names, uh, Noach and dan who we now know were, uh, were both figures, Noah, the famous Noah of the Bible, and Daniel, very similar to Daniel, or Daniel <coughs> but we actually know from archaeological sources that Ezekiel was probably not referring to the Daniel, but he was referring to Daniel, who was a, a famous hero in those days about whom many stories were told of his greatness. So those three were given as examples of great people that accomplished great things, and, and, and they were the subject of many of the legends and myths that were told in those days, um, Eov, Danel, and, and Noah. Now, um, so Eov probably existed as a person, but it's a parable in the sense, and the Raman points out that when we discuss soon about the goings-on in heaven between God and his angels and so on, Rambam says that no matter whether or not you think that this story actually happened, everyone agrees, according to Rambam, that the discussion about what happened with God in the heavens was simply a parable, something that we should um, not take as an actual event, as a description of God sitting in a court, which Maimonides, in his rationalist way, would certainly not have approved of and did not approve of, as I just said. So anyway, so this Eov lived in the land of Oz, and this man was Tom. Tom is uh, we know from how it says in the Torah Tamim Tamimm right you should be uh, literally Tom could mean perfect or without a flaw like a a, a a carbon a sacrifice that had a mum that had a flaw if it was, if it did not have a flaw then it was Tom it was perfect, right Tom is a person who, He's perfect. He didn't have any errors. And he was straight. Literally straight meaning, uh, also translated as upright often. And he always does the right thing. So Tom is saying he did not have flaws on the negative side. In other words, he didn't have any negative traits. And he was straight. He always did the right thing. And he was in fear of God. And he turned away from bad things. Now, this, this uh, idea that he feared God is a reference to what I was referring to before, and that is, is that he had an understanding that there is purpose, right? He understood that there was a creator, and he realized that there is a God, and that there's a reason why we're here. And because of that, the sor meirah, he turned away from evil. This is making the classical biblical argument that when one believes in God, one believes in a purpose— and therefore one turns away from evil. If one does not believe in purpose in the universe, when one thinks it's completely dictated by natural laws, then one has no incentive to turn away from evil. I know this is a, uh, you know, atheists may disagree with that, but this is the assertion of the Bible, and here it is being asserted. Um, I personally agree with this assertion, um, but uh, that's because I bl- I'm teaching the Bible. Uh, but and it's something for us. You, you, know, you can go ahead and debate that with your friends. And there was born to him seven sons and three daughters. So having seven sons is a particularly wonderful sign of blessing in those days. Yes, it is a little bit misogynistic, but that's what it was in those days. But he had ten children, which is just a wonderful bounty. A wonderful. Uh, his wife was very fertile, and he had... Uh, what else could somebody want shivat he had 7000 sheep that number 7 again which is a number in the bible often is when something is complete and whole it's bountiful and complete there's 7 ushloshet gimalim and 3000 camels in a typical um the commentaries point out that in a typical typically camels People have less camels than sheep. <coughs> camels reproduce slower. And so in a typical uh, wealthy household, they'll have X number of sheep and less than that number of camels. And camels also are much larger and require much more effort to, um, to upkeep. bakar, And he had 500 uh, yokes of, of cattle. These are for work right, to work the fields, and 500 she-donkeys, and many servants in order to tend to all these flocks in this wealth. And this man was greater than all of the men of the east. So remember, this is being written in the perspective of those in the land of Israel, so the land of Uts, the land of Az, the land of Edom, was to the general east direction, of that area, so he was great, meaning here in this term it's referring to his wealth. He was wealthier than anyone else in the area, and he was also great in the fact as a leader, as a great name, and his sons went, and uh, what they used to do was they would make a party, and each person would have a day, his day, right? Remember, seven days of the week, there were seven sons and not only did they they just each one have a party where they invited their brothers, they invited their sisters too. The sisters, of course, did not have property of their own, but the, it's showing how gracious they were in bringing their sisters along, to eat and drink together with them. The um, This is an important for many reasons, but I'm going to zero in on uh, something that I, I believe this is crucial. We're going to see soon, and I know I'm sorry I'm, I'm uh, giving away what we're going to read together, that God considered this behavior to be exemplary and beautiful behavior, right, on the part of the family, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing because what we see from the book of Job is that God is proud of people when families get together and eat and drink together and enjoy a beautiful family life God is not, has nothing against the wealth of someone like Eov who's able to enjoy uh, the 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 pleasures of this world in an honest and upright fashion, right? This is not there's not not even an ounce of criticism being leveled here, and in fact, we're going to see soon that God considered Eov to be a wonderful and just and uh, and and proper person. So, this is really kind of sticks in the face of those who try to try to claim that involving oneself even a proper properly in 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 the pleasures of this world is that there's somehow something wrong with that that we should somehow deny ourselves this pleasure this is a basic fundamental idea we find in the torah that's a basic fundamental idea in judaism that that this kind of behavior is not something to be ashamed of it's not something to be avoided we don't pride ourselves on fasting and torturing ourselves. We pride ourselves on living honestly, living upright, living purposely, and so on, but not on avoiding the pleasures of this world. But we know that such partying sometimes can lead, sometimes maybe, to improper thoughts and improper ideas. So when, as when the days of their party was completed, so you get, one gets the sense that this is what they did when they had a seven-day feast. And we know from the Torah that typically the feasts of Pesach, the feast of Sukkot, the Passover and Sukkot holidays are seven-day feasts. That was a typical time. So when they had the feast, that's how they would celebrate the feast. So Vayishlach, would, Eov um, would send a message to them, Vayikadshem, and had them purify themselves, meaning... They should look into their own character, into their own behavior, and make sure that they didn't make any mistakes. In other words, don't think, you know, if you had a party, maybe you, maybe you didn't give money to the poor, maybe you didn't treat someone properly, maybe you said something that wasn't nice to someone. So he had them look into themselves to improve themselves. Ve'hishkin baboker, and he would wake up in the morning after the, the feast was over, ve'hela olot, and he would bring sacrifices uh, you know, a sacrifice for each and every one of the children. Remember, this was the way that they would pray in those days. Bringing a sacrifice was the way they prayed. We dealt with this several times, and I quoted to you um, Naimonides' understanding of, of how the sacrifices would work. Kiamariov amari because would say, Ulay <speaking in Hebrew> Maybe one of my children sinned Uverhu Elohim bilvavam. And in their hearts, they may have cursed God. Right, this the language Berchu is obviously blessed God, but clearly it's this, this, the language of the of the verse, and we see this many times throughout Tanakh. Because the, the verse doesn't want to stay straight out to curse and and to talk about it in the context of God, so it uses the word bless, even though it means the opposite of blessing. <coughs> maybe when they were they drank too much, maybe they they cursed God in their hearts. Now, um, because you have understood that wealth can also bring one to curse God. So, as we're going to see soon, Satan, uh, you know, uh, we're going to see this soon. We're gonna, uh, die, the, Eov is going to be tested with suffering, which can lead someone to question the existence of God, which is the cursing of God, which we're referring to here, right? The cursing of God meaning saying that maybe God doesn't exist, right? Or maybe God exists but doesn't care, right? He just created the world and then let it roll or something like that. Right, But one can also come to the same mistake through happiness. When one has everything, one becomes arrogant, and one thinks that he deserves all of this because he's the greatest guy or whatever, Right, and then come to also flout uh, know, the rules and disobey the, 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 the rules and morals that God wants us to keep in this world. So wealth can lead to that as well, and Eo recognizing this and understanding this would, would atone for them, and tell them to search into themselves, this is what Eov did on all of these days. So here we have a little story of Eov, the beautiful life that he was living, the wonderful children he had, the wealth that he had, and how faithful he was to God, how he was tam v'yoshar v'irei meira. This was the Eov that we are going to be reading about in this book. I will conclude here the first installment of our book of Job. Um, And uh, thank you so much for studying together with me. Have a wonderful day.